District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org to learn about our sponsor and the great work they're doing. Thanks for tuning in today. A sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. It's been a busy week on my end. I hope your week has been enjoyable. You've gotten into the field. I finally was able to go on my first hunt of the season, a little belated, but since I've been traveling, it's really hard for me to arrange hunts and we're primarily a private land state. I don't have enough acreage to sustain a hunting extravaganza. So I am leaning on friends and one of my friends, Will Estrada, took my father and I to a lease that he has access to in Loudoun County. And while we were not successful, you may have seen on social media, my posting about it, it was my dad's first time into the field outside of field dressing and butchering meat, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a great teachable first trip for him. And none of us were able to get deer because of just coyotes and other factors. Wind conditions, weather was fine. I think it's just coyotes coming through. Anytime there's a predator, it kind of scares off the quarry. So I think that's what happened with our case We tried to be as quiet as possible. My dad and I are talkers, so I've had to condition him to, you know, be more quiet. But I think it just didn't work in our favor. We may have some more opportunities to go hunting in Loudoun County. I've been talking to another acquaintance who has a doe problem. So this may not be our last trip of 2023 or our only deer season trip for rifle season. I will keep you posted. But I have two quick things I want to share today, and I want to tee up some interviews from The Congressional Sportsman Foundation Summit I went to last week in Dewey Beach, Delaware. I want to give a little summary of that. And then I want to talk about a resolution in the House of Representatives from Congressman Mike Flood, who has been a guest on the program. We welcomed him on the show a couple months ago to talk about land policy that concerns him, 30 by 30, the egregious poaching case of an eagle where two illegal migrants barbecued, shot to death a eagle. One was prosecuted, the others on the run, and why the Fish and Wildlife Service was extremely slow to respond and how irresponsibly slow they were to respond to this and condemn it until there was obviously social pressure, pressure from social media to actually care about this issue. And we see them turn a blind eye to kind of these egregious cases if it doesn't fit their narrative of what their mission statement is, which should be to promote hunting and fishing as conservation and engage wildlife conservation stakeholders, but we see these agencies, Interior, et cetera, moving away from that, and it's very unfortunate. But let's talk briefly about NASC, the summit, the annual 20th annual summit that is held by the Congressional Sportsman Foundation. So we have had some people from CSF here on the program. John Klokasher, who represents Virginia, has been a previous guest. I've mentioned some of their efforts before, but it's a really great group. It's bipartisan. It has members at the congressional level, gubernatorial level, and state lawmaker level. And this was specifically for engaging state lawmakers. And we all congregated in Dewey Beach, Delaware. It's off season, so it wasn't super crowded. I think I paid the cheapest gas in a long time, like $2.99 unleaded at one of the Royal Farms gas station, not too far from where we were staying. So I appreciate Delaware for that. I didn't get to do shopping. They were making a plea for attendees to shop in Delaware. I did my contribution by filling up my gas tank. But outside of that, it was a very nice change of pace. I haven't really spent much time in the Delaware beaches. I only went to Lou's Beach earlier this year when I was driving back from my reporting trip covering offshore wind and 
my qualms with it and, and a lot of the trade-offs and negative kind of aspects to that form of energy. We were spending a lot of time in Jersey Shore. It was much better to take the Cape May Ferry to Lose Beach, Delaware. So got to see a little bit there, but haven't really spent much time. So this week I was able to spend a little more dedicated time there, mostly obviously in the event center that they had, but I got to see some nice sunsets, be at least at the beach. It was chilly, chillier than what I am more comfortable with Obviously, even though I've lived on the East Coast now for goodness, 11 and a half years, I should be used to colder weather. The conference was really good. It was my first time attending a CSF event. I've always been invited to, especially in recent years, to some stuff in D.C. and I'm not able to go. I'm always on vacation the week they hold their September kind of big dinner. So I'm hoping next year, I think I'm going to not travel in September especially that week. So I hope to attend more events, but it's a really well organized summit. They hold it in a different location every single year. And what were some of the topics they discussed? It's a lot of topics we've touched upon here on the show. Some of the external threats to hunting and fishing, policy relating to fisheries, hunting, lead ammunition, phase outs. There was even an emphasis on vessel speed rules and the deleterious consequences of that from the fisheries side. They were talking about banking and banking discrimination as it relates to the firearms industry. And they had mentioned ESG is actually inviting this and how they were the original or one of the first victims of ESG through this banking discrimination that has been taking hold uh, for many, many years because U.S. banks have been pressured by anti-gun activists to engage in discriminatory behavior because they think that these companies are funding violence, which is not true. Their products are largely used for lawful purposes, but these banks have been co-opted Uh, There are different shareholders and stakeholders within these banks that are negatively influencing policy in terms of lending, in terms of opening bank accounts, what have you, all financial services you could think of. And they were the first casualties of ESG, but they're fighting back. And so we learned about that a little bit more in context. We learned and heard a bit from several state agencies, one of them being Delaware, the other being our Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources, which actually was named the state agency of the year. And tagging along our DWR director, Ryan Brown, I finally got to meet him. Nice guy. He's done phenomenal work for the agency in promoting conservation. Most notably, of course, reintroducing the elk uh, with his leadership, coupled with obviously all the stakeholders on the ground. Leon Boyd, who we've mentioned here, phenomenal gentleman who had a vision for bringing back elk. And he's partnered with the DWR and other stakeholders, private public partnerships. And then I got to meet our natural resources secretary, Travis Voiles. Um, We have a lot of mutual friends and also his deputy, uh, Corey Scott, as well. Both of them know uh, a friend of the show, Mandy Gunasekara. So it's kind of small world when you finally get to meet people who you've talked to and and been surrounded by and you have mutual friends. So uh, we have great people helming our natural resources policy in Virginia from the DWR side to DEQ side and everywhere in between. So let's talk about some other highlights quickly because I know I can rant forever about all the good stuff that was there. You know, the food was excellent too. I loved the scallops that they had. The presentation was impeccable. It was delicious. It was like a corn garnish with chipotle mayo and scallop. Oh, it was fantastic. They fed us very well. We were not starving whatsoever. They the, the hotel was great in terms of that. The accommodations were nice. I got to meet a lot of state lawmakers and some of my newer friends that I've met just recently, I, I befriended some folks from Arizona's Game and Fish Department recently, and they were also, unbeknownst to me, in attendance. I got to meet some lawmakers from Virginia, Arizona, Oklahoma, all over the country, um, people from various different backgrounds, Democrats, Republicans. So it was really nice that 
all of us could come together. And it wasn't just geared towards state lawmakers, NGO representatives, policy people like me, a couple media um, were also in attendance as well. But you don't really hear of media attending these type of events. It's mostly grassroots activists, NGO representatives, state lawmakers, but it is open to people in the outdoor media space as well. We got to fit in some demonstrations. We got to see some wild game demonstration. It was kind of a truncated lesson because of just the time constraints for that. I think they had 30 minute increments to do all the three different stations. We went to a shooting sports or shooting sporting clay venue nearby a little uh, west of where we were staying, a little inland in Delaware. And it was a nice facility. It reminds me a lot of a lot of the trap and skeet facilities here in the mid-Atlantic, but never had done any shooting sports in Delaware. So that was really cool. I got to also partake in some trap and skeet and improve my uh, accuracy because trap and skeet is one of the harder things for me because you're dealing with projectiles. I'm not ashamed to say that. And I think it's also because of a lack of consistency of practice. I do more handgun and long distance shooting. So I've neglected this element of shooting. And so I was very happy. At least I improved my accuracy. And then we also had a trapping demo. I think what was emphasized throughout the summit was that if trapping were to go, every other form of hunting would follow next. And same with fishing. We always make that point here. I was happy to see that reiterated. But you could see in these particular representatives, you know, how how welcome they felt here, but how they're up against a mountain of opposition. Personally speaking, I have no problem with trapping. I actually have defended it on many occasions. I've had some fur trappers here on the program. We need to do more. I need to talk to some of these associations who are in attendance and maybe get them on the program because we love to demystify things here, as you all know, if you're longtime listeners. But I've never had opposition to it because my family's from Eastern Europe and fur was pretty ubiquitous. Like you had to have fur to stay warm, certainly as a luxury item, but even some regular people were able to get their hands on fur. But there's a lot of misconceptions from animal rights advocates and radical preservationists about fur trapping. And this country started to turn against fur trapping in the early 20th century, when all these kind of special interest groups started to come about and advocate for so-called animal welfare and really did a number and misrepresent some of the tools that are used in trapping. But I think trapping is getting kind of a regeneration or kind of a second look because you hear about turkey numbers dwindling here in the Southeast from Virginia all the way down to the Carolinas and Georgia and whatever. So people, believe it or not, from what these experts were testifying to, to our summit, they were saying that actually a lot of turkey hunters have enlisted the help of trappers to combat coyotes and other voracious eaters that are targeting them. And maybe that's a way to package and message about trapping that you need a form of trapping because of the growth of predators and the effects on obviously, you know, turkeys or other type of species that may be impacted. I have an overview on my Substack that I put later than usual because they typically come out Fridays, but I was waiting to see if we would get some deer. It didn't happen, but you can find it more in Substack about this event, more about the organization. And if this piques your interest, you're involved in conservation policy and you want to attend a NASC, a CSF NASC, they're going to be holding it next year in November, late November, a week before Thanksgiving in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That looks like a fun conference. I hope I'm able to attend. I don't like to plan out too early in advance. Usually a couple months in advance is kind of how I operate, but I may be attending again in the future or at some point down the road, I hope to attend again if I'm not able to next year, but it's a great operation, great organization, love what they do and that they are not shy of 
tackling these issues. And I recorded a podcast with the Sportsman Voice host, Fred Bird, one of their employees. They're a great guy. And we will repost our exchange once they put it out, uh, the CSF podcast here on the program after they first publish it. But it was great to sit down with Fred uh, the host of the CSF podcast and talk more about my work. So a lot of synergy, a lot of great folks. I got to connect with a lot of people, catch up with some friends, make some new ones, great time. So if you want to get more involved, you have opportunities. These are not exclusive events, but if you want to learn the trade, learn the ropes. You have to go to these summits. So that is kind of my takeaway from NASC. I want to talk about this resolution to top off today. You had heard me speak previously about the UN pushing these bizarre, albeit non-binding resolutions and propositions to make us more radically unstable energy-wise to chart a net zero course, which is untenable and impractical, to phase out coal and fossil fuels. That was again reiterated at this past summit. And I think it concludes today, December 11th. I think it's the last day of the Dubai COP28 summit. And we had mentioned the meat resolution, the plan to make meat and food consumption in agreement with the Paris Climate Accords of 2015. We talked briefly about that. If you need a revisiting of the issue, I went into detail last week's episode on it. But the short story, long story of it is, is a plan to radically alter diets. And it would demand of wealthier nations that we have to give up our meat intake I think down to, what was it, 15 kilograms or 50 kilograms from whatever we consume right now. It's a demonstrable decrease in meat consumption. But poorer nations or nations that have a worse environmental footprint than us will have carte blanche to continue to farm, in their words, so-called sustainably farm. So it's like a redistributionist scheme, very ugly when you learn more about it, doesn't seem practical. And of course, they hold agricultural industries accountable for this. They keep talking and harping about methane emissions and we have to get rid of cows. But the Wall Street Journal had a really great piece responding to this. And I cited it in one of my blog posts at IWF expanding on this net zero food plan that they're trying to unveil and get lots of countries on board of, I think over 130 countries, including the US signed on to this. But again, it's not binding. So unless Congress passes something, this is null and void. This should not be implemented. But You will see some semblance of this maybe passed down by executive order if they're wanting to comply with the UN. That's what we're seeing from this administration, uh, them being responsive and giving a nod to entities that do not have any jurisdiction over us, case in point, the UN. So it's not conspiratorial or crazy to think that UN dictates will factor into regulatory policy, especially as Congress, thankfully, is more deadlocked and is not going to be passing these willy-nilly but we could see this come down through the USDA or Interior or some related agency. I, I obviously think it's going to be USDA because Interior relates to more so hunting consumption. But they could say, you know, you guys have done enough of hunting. Maybe we can tell state wildlife agencies to cut back on it because, you know, it's really bad, da, da, da. So who knows? But the USDA, I feel like, would implement this, EPA, because those relate to energy consumption. So we could see something there unveiled if they're serious about following through with this UN directive. But we had Congressman Mike Flood tee up a resolution over the weekend. I was actually alerted by his staffer to this, and I want to write more about it. I was supposed to write about it for Town Hall today, but I'm actually going to go into detail perhaps on Friday of this week when I come back from a speech I'm giving today, tomorrow, out of state. But 
go more so into detail because I haven't seen the resolution just yet. So I want to actually have it. But what some of the language looks like, and this is from a report from Thomas Catanacci. He's a great reporter at Fox News. He always is on top of these breaking news stories relating to energy and conservation. But uh, Mike Flood, Congressman Mike Flood, is going to be introducing a resolution condemning all UN recommendations that the U.S. lower its meat consumption to reduce carbon emissions and fight global warming. And the article says Flood is planning to formally introduce the resolution today, Monday, amid the ongoing UN COP28 climate change conference in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, where delegates are planning to issue its first-of-a-kind report that is expected to call for the West to reduce consumption of beef. The UN has for years called for individuals to ditch animal-based diets, which it says have a high impact on our planet, quote, end quote. And the resolution is going to sound like this. Resolve that the House of Representatives, one, recognizes the importance of meat and livestock production in the U.S., two, recognizes the importance of meat and animal-based protein, three, disapproves of U.N. recommendations to reduce meat consumption in their global food systems roadmap, that's the formal plan, and four, opposes the use of any federal resources to support attempts to reduce meat consumption, the resolution says. And this is in response to the U.N. Food and Agriculture Organization FAO, preparing for its global food systems roadmap. Can you say that fast? I don't think so. It, it does not roll off the tongue very beautifully. I would be careful and hesitant to trust the UN in any regard. They are known to be hypocritical uh, all across the board. And when when it comes to meat consumption, they're hypocrites, much like their plane travel. They call for carbon credits and reducing your footprint. And then John Kerry spews hot air in quite the literal sense last week, reportedly, allegedly, and he can travel all he wants. The UN General Secretary, Antonio Guterres, can travel all he wants. All these pontificators can travel, no problem, but we plebes cannot travel whatsoever because we're contributing to exacerbating climate change and global catastrophe and whatever crazy buzzwords that they love to put out there and fearmonger with. But reportedly, according to Mark Morano, who is there in Dubai, they were actually serving very top-of-the-line quality, high-quality meat at this summit. So really, really, they're going to go through with this plan. Their elites can still have meat, but us regular folks who are not UN elite can't eat meat anymore. This is going to be extremely hard to enforce. Like I said, the, even the Bloomberg Green Report that I highlighted about this global food systems roadmap, they said it's going to be extremely hard to enforce because it'll be met with a lot of resistance from people in developed nations. People, since they started to consume meat, especially meat that's prepared well, start to grow. They're healthier. You can live longer. And going on a solely plant-based diet, this is not even vegetables. This is eating 20-ingredient pea plant protein whatever that has been produced in a lab and has a lot of, again, questionable ingredients. We shouldn't be force-feeding to people what they should and shouldn't eat. And meat intake is integral for food security. As more people started to eat meat, their diets have been nourished, they live longer, and if meat is prepared well, you will be nutrient-rich and you won't have these problems that a lot of people who lead vegan or even vegetarian lifestyles and diets often face with nutrient shortage, with not having enough protein and having to replace conventional protein with supplements. And some people, unfortunately, I have some friends who have an intolerance of eating meat and it's very unfortunate. So they can't eat meat or dairy products. And that's understandable. So I don't fault them for having to find alternatives, but it's people who are not 
privy to that, who just want to force behaviors on others that I have a problem with, with wanting to force a meat diet when they themselves are not abiding by the standards they want to impose on us. So we will look out for this resolution. I'll have more on this resolution in town hall this week, later this week on Friday. But it's something to be aware of that not everyone's going to be in agreement. I don't think, like I said earlier, this will ever have teeth. I hope I'm wrong, but I only can see it adopted through regulatory fiat through the USDA or EPA or something of that nature. Um, But it's going to be met with a lot of resistance if they try to do this. So they better not try to implement this global systems roadmap, net zero meat plan for us to have to agree to. And again, you see opposition already building. People have said, hands off my steak, hands off my meat. You're going to be with a lot of resistance. Meat consumption is actually something that a lot of Americans like and something that brings together people. So when you force behaviors like EVs and and going net zero and, and pursuing renewables, people don't like that, especially when they see how poor the results are. So that is kind of the takeaway of this resolution, this doubling down of reducing meat intake. You don't want to eat meat? Great. Let the rest of us choose how to conduct ourselves. I lead an omnivorous diet. I like vegetables too, meat as well, but I'm not picking out and I know what's best for myself and people should know what's best for themselves too. But forcing this, forcing behaviors, forcing people to abandon animal protein is ludicrous. I'm sorry to say that it is absolutely ludicrous. That's my two cents on the issue. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people, and I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners, and we have just hit 1,000 followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.